skeptical about custom beauty, honestly, y'all, I totally get it. My feed is flooded with customize this and personalize that, all promising, you know, to fix all of our beauty, hair, and skin problems. Truthfully, I was so skeptical when I saw this brand, but I'm a total believer now. When pros says custom, they actually mean it. Their products are no gimmicks, and your formula couldn't exist without you. Each and every bottle of Pro's custom hair care and skin care is made to order and personalized with unique blends of naturally powerful and proven effective ingredients to meet your needs. Their in-depth consultation analyzes over 80 factors for a complete view of your life and beauty goals. And they get personal. Pro's covers everything from your concerns to diet, exercise, and stress levels to uncover what's impacting your hair and skin health. Did you know, for example, that Minneapolis has like weirdly hard water, which apparently was affecting my hair. So like some of the ingredients that they put into my hair care was to like deal with the fact that we have hard water. Wow. I love that. They also asked me things like, you know, because I have had a baby recently, like, am I still breastfeeding? What are my hair goals? And I also really appreciated they asked like, how much effort do you want to put into your hair? Yeah, <laughs> because like I'm at the point, you know, I used to let, yeah, I used to do those, you know, put effort into my appearance, but now it's like, I just want to be able to walk out of the door without feeling self-conscious. Um, I, this is truly such a genuine endorsement. So I've really enjoyed using these products. But don't just take our word for it. In a third-party, double-blind, dermatologist-supervised control clinical trial, this is like the gold standard of all of these trials, Pros proved that personalization works better than off-the-shelf alternatives. Try it for yourself and get your healthiest hair in 30 days or your money back. Pros is so confident that you'll love your results that they're offering our listeners an exclusive trial offer so you can see the difference custom care can make. 50% off your first subscription order at pros.com slash justbreakup. That's P-R-O-S-E dot com slash justbreakup for your free consultation and 50% off your one-of-a-kind formulas, pros.com slash justbreakup. How do you feel great on vacation? Like really good? Easy. You go to Aruba. You'll spend your time relaxing on cool white sand beaches and floating in healing blue water. You'll immerse yourself in natural wonder and find your center on an island where things move at your speed. You won't just feel great. You'll feel relaxed, renewed, and ready for life. That's the Aruba Effect. Plan your trip at aruba.com. Hey, Just Break Up listeners. Sam and I are so excited to share with you that this week we are debuting a brand new interview series that we're going to share with you on our primary feed. We're calling it the Head & Hardware Conversations and they're going to air every two weeks uh, starting this Thursday. That's right. We've already done a lot of these interviews. There were some really amazing people that we are so excited to share with you, including but not limited to psychologist and author Lindsay C. Gibson, polyamorous educator Evita Sawyers, spiritual activist Bunny Michael, poet Melissa Lozada Oliva, and leading expert and champion of body positivity Virgie Tovar. And... Way more than that. It's so exciting. Yeah. We're so yeah. excited about this new series. <laughs> Absolutely. Sam and I have been like truly enjoying these conversations. They've been enlightening, affirming, empowering. Like we just literally can't wait to share them with you. So 
Join us for our Head and Heart Word Conversation interview series starting this Thursday with psychologist and author of Sam's favorite book, Adult Children of Emotionally Immature Parents, Lindsay C. Gibson. The conversation was life-altering. It was amazing. Join us this Thursday. Welcome to Just Break Up, the podcast about love, heartbreak, and all the relationship advice you don't want to hear. My name is Sierra DeMolder. And I'm Sam Blackwell. And this week, we're going to tackle topics like apologies, making up for our mistakes, and dating in a crisis. Mm, sounds serious. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to be really good. We're not going to laugh one bit. No, I, I take back that laugh. <laughs> <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> But before we begin, we just want to give you our Surgeon General's warning, which is that we are not licensed mental health people in yeah. any way. Yeah. We're just making it up as we go along. Yeah. I'm literally just Googled apologies to see what would come up. <laughs> I so. can't wait because I did minimal <laughs> prep for this episode. So I'm glad you you threw in a Google search. Uh-huh. uh-huh. This is all to say we are just two Googling inadequate assholes who... Uh, <laughs> Don't know what we're talking about, so please take our advice as you see fit. It is your life, not ours, and we are just here to offer our humble musings to hopefully shed some understanding and maybe some laughs on the incredibly rewarding but mostly confusing experience that is love. All right, Sam, this week's check-in topic I'm actually pretty excited about because it has very little to do with relationships. <laughs> oh, great. Well, I'm excited about it because it like came up organically between you and I and actually Spencer. So earlier this week, um, the three of us were approving some new like ad categories for like upcoming sponsors. Um, mm -hmm. You know, shout out to getting paid to do creative work. Thanks yes, for listening yep. to those ads. Um, and one of the categories that we could approve or not approve was men's health. And we mm. got into like a little internal debate about that um, because we obviously believe that men deserve <laughs> health <laughs> mm -hmm. and that there is, there's a disparity in the way that we talk. There's a gender disparity in the way we talk about, you know, mental health, self-care, even like going to the doctors for checkups, you know, like, um, there's some weird uh, gendered shit going on in there. Um, and then we also got in a debate about like what kind of ads would be run because like we we're mindful of our listeners, of our audience members and like things that we want to maybe not perpetrate anymore. And yeah. one of the examples was like you two as people who identify as men get ads for erectile dysfunction mm -hmm. uh, medication. And do you want to tell the listeners a little bit about that conversation and the two types of ads? Yeah, I mean, we were talking about it. And, you know, I think like, like Sierra said, like the basic premise is that we think that men should have access to health and yeah. also like included in and that be can be erectile dysfunction yes. medication, right? Like, and what I think is disappointing, at least in my experience, is that the only advertisements that I get around men's health are for erectile dysfunction drugs. Number one. Right? Which is like, hello, there's a whole gamut of different yeah. things that men's like that. There are other things other than like <laughs> erections right? that affect men's wellness. Right. Absolutely. Um, and also men are less likely to go to doctors and like less likely to take care of themselves in terms of health because yes. like going to the doctor isn't manly or whatever. Yeah. It's so, like, that's frustrating. And then 
And then like the two different types of ads that come, at least in my experience, from like erectile dysfunction places, like there's one that's like erectile dysfunction is like embarrassing and like it not like in a bad way. It's like it's like it's hard to talk about. Like, Mm -hmm. right. Absolutely. And it happens a lot. So like here are some tools or or resources that you can use to help to help you, you know, achieve your goal, which is like, cool. I'm on board with that. But then there's like another brand of erectile dysfunction medication ads that are like your wife hates you because your dick won't get hard or like <laughs> all the other men are laughing at you because you can't get hard. Right. Like yeah. this like really intense sort of like hyper masculine heteronormative shamey type of thing that like equates people's worth to whether or not their penis gets erect. Like it yeah. just is so frustrating that I like we had this debate because it was like we want to be able to offer resources for men to get healthcare that's going to work for them. Yes. And, and there's nothing also wrong with subject... getting this medication, number one. No, for sure. Yeah. And we also don't want to subject people to this like hyper-masculine, hyper-heteronormative like type of advertising that seems to be sometimes the only way that people decide men want to hear their advertisements. <laughs> it's like, when did we decide that this is how this is really going to be an effective way to get men to take care of their their health? <laughs> Yeah, totally. And I felt so conflicted about um, not wanting to exclude our male listeners or our male identifying listeners. But um, at the same time, our, the way we talk about masculinity, we, the way we talk about the male identity is so limited. And I think that's mm-hmm. why we wanted to we wanted to check in about it and just be like, hey, this is a limited scope. We're conditioned to believe this limited scope of masculinity and to bring it to relationships. Like in preparation of this episode, I was like thinking the minimal prep I did. (laughs) I was thinking about like, you know, so much of the gendered education that we have been indoctrinated in, we unintentionally um, commit to our partners, right? Mm. Um, Folks like me who have been in hetero relationships, like I ha- I know that there's a gendered wound within me that enacts gendered violent expectations on my male partners. You know For what sure. I mean? Sure. Um, and I think that this is like this t- conversation about, about erectile dysfunction um, pill medications and the, the language in which we talk about it is just like a... Um, a way in <laughs> to, to remind us that um, that this this gendered violence, this limitation, this this limited v- lens of masculinity um, and gender in general uh, is is ever present, mm. is ever present. So much so that the three of us were debating whether we include this demographic of our listeners that exist, that we love, that we want to 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 seek wellness and health mm-hmm. things um, or do we risk the the limitations of the existing narrative? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Do we yeah. subject people to more of this like very gendered, toxic understanding of gender period? For sure. Absolutely. And it just is a reminder that these gender roles and this construction of gender hurts everyone. <laughs> like, Right. Because like it truly the does. reality is, is that like this means that the type of men's health care that's offered is inherently gendered and shamey. Right. It's not actually like treating people as whole people who have like multifaceted 
perspectives around their own health and multifaceted needs, right? And instead it's like, oh, you're a guy. Therefore, the only thing you care about is your penis and whether or not you can have sex, right? Like, and it's like, sure, that's one thing. Yeah, absolutely. But it's not the only thing, right? And like leaves out the fact that like men's health can also incorporate people who do not have penises and do not need erectile dysfunction (laughs) meds, right? It's just like, I just keep thinking about that Alok Vedmenen podcast. I was going to shout it out too. (laughs) Yeah, the, the Man Enough podcast and just the way that they talk about gender as being like, it doesn't exist, right? Like that's what's so beautiful about it. It's like, you're making this as you go along, right? Like this, it doesn't have to be like this. Like you are continuing to perpetuate it in the things that you're doing. And it's not that you're a bad person. It's just that you're, there's a wound in you that like is so deeply unhealed that these are the things that we're doing to ourselves and others. And like the invitation there is to, to heal, not to like beat yes. yourself up about this stuff or like whatever. It's about like, how am I healing from the fact that this construct has been placed so forcefully on me that I feel the need to also enact it on other people, right? Like, oh my God, that's it right there. It's beautiful. Yeah. Like it's it's such yeah. a welcoming and liberating way to to think about gender. Um, and I love it. I'm so glad that, that you yeah. recommended it and that they went yeah. on that podcast and that they exist in this world. And I know. If y'all haven't listened to it yet, it's on, it's a Loke Vedamenon's interview on the Man Enough podcast by, presented by Justin Baldoni and and others. Mm -hmm. Um, But it is a literally life-altering conversation that just makes you, I mean, at bare minimum makes you think differently about the existence of gender and gender roles and gender stereotypes in your in in the world mm-hmm. at you know like for me and Sam I think it like or at least I'll speak for myself it revealed to me that gendered wound mm-hmm. you know um and how I enact that gender violence on people around me on my expectations of others and it was just so you're right it was so liberating and and freeing and I think this check-in topic is just really all for us to like make space for a conversation we genuinely wanted to have <laughs> and and to tell our male listeners and male identified listeners that we love you and we Absolutely. see that you are multifaceted and that you are incredibly limited in through the lens of society but we see that you are so much more than the one-dimensional version of masculinity that we have been sold. Mm-hmm. Um, and that goes to all all of our listeners, all of our listeners of any gender, of no gender, of all genders, um, and that we all deserve, like, well, wellness care. Yes. <laughs> and we all deserve to, like, uh, take care of our bodies and, and you know, f- fix things that are hurting, <laughs> you, mm-hmm. know, you know? For sure. And live our best lives, I guess. Yes. Great right, check-in Well, topic. cheers. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right, let's get into some letters. All right, this letter comes to us from Shay C., whose pronouns are she, her, who is writing to us from Cloudy, Washington, USA. When dealing with intent versus impact, how do you forgive slash move on when someone acknowledged their intent was not to hurt you, but their impact was painful? This question comes for me after an argument with my partner. In this instance, I was not hurt by intent versus impact, mostly annoyed and frustrated by verbiage my partner used in trying to resolve a conflict. When logically, I know I'm potentially overreacting about something you said, 
And logically, yeah, maybe I could have paused and reflected rather than reacted. Logically, he broke it down and apologized for the impact, but I can't help but hold on to the burning injustice of being misunderstood. Mm. It feels... I know. It feels like when someone just, quote, acknowledges the impact they've made on you, it's only half of the process. Is the resolution all just the personal head and heart work we do behind the scenes in order to show up as better people? Do we just set it down and learn to forgive them? Or or is there really a better way to resolve residual shitty feelings from this type of concept? Hope this all makes sense. Your insight would be so helpful. Big love to the both of you. I found you like so many others during a hard period of transition in my life. Listening to you talk through letters has been a staple in my healing and growth over the last six months. Thanks, y'all. Shay. Mm. All right. Thanks so much for writing, Shay. Uh, What a thoughtful question. It's like a very simple but incredibly thoughtful question about like, conflict (laughs) and apologies and like how do we deal once we have an understanding that people's impact might not reflect their intentions Mm -hmm. what do we do with that and and also how hard it is how hard it is to accept an apology when you're still mad (laughs) oh my god real (laughs) i didn't even think about that yeah when you're still frustrated right of like yeah, I know you're sorry, but I'm still mad about it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, my God. Sometimes my spouse is like, I'll be like, well, this is how I felt. And they'll be like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. And I'll be like, yeah, I, I know it does. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> well, I, <laughs> you know, like, uh, they're like, eh, I'm sorry I made you feel that way. I'm like, I, you, you better be, you know. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. And I think, I think, too, we are often... So many of us are socialized to not receive apologies, right? That it immediately becomes like a, mm. a sort of like fight response. And so it yes. can be really off-putting too when a person's like, ooh, yes, absolutely. I see what I did there and I can understand why you're feeling that way. And I'm so sorry that that's- That's so that, real. Right? And you're like, what? And then you're like, wait, <laughs> what? wait, did you just apologize? Like, I'm, I'm so unclear yeah. what I'm supposed to do with this situation now. Because I'm so used to people doubling down or being like, that wasn't my intent. And it's like, I don't fucking care if it wasn't your intent. Like, this is how it felt, right? So, like, I get it. Like, I I, I relate to this letter for sure. You're so right about saying that we're, it's not only that we're conditioned not to accept apologies. We are conditioned to think that conflict is oppositional Hmm. and it's about it's about one person being right and the other person being wrong or it's it's like um it's like a a thing you have to win Mm -hmm. we're we're taught that whether it's you know represented in our parents or our family units popular culture like we're taught that when somebody wrongs you or there's a conflict it's about someone being wrong or right it's about it's, the resolution is someone being like, you're right and I'm wrong, not we disagree or mm-hmm. like not we're human and we didn't line up perfectly because we are human. For sure. For sure. Absolutely. Because like sometimes the things that we say come off wrong to people or aren't articulated in the way that we meant them. And like, that's just a fact of life, right? Like that's, yeah. we're never going to say the perfect thing or be perfect all the time. It's like, because perfection doesn't exist it is not it's not a worthy goal because like yeah. it, you'll never achieve it um 
but it does it does suck to still be mad at somebody even when they've apologized. <laughs> I get it. Well, and I want to I want to talk a little bit about that feeling of injustice, that moment of uh, uh, you uh-huh. know, like the. But wait, you know, I think that's such a real space to be in, and I want to before we dive into like, you know, picking it apart and analyzing it. Like, I want to say that. People's ability to move on from conflict is not a sign of enlightenment or better than thouness. You know, like sure. we all experience some of these feelings, this some of this either residual education from our childhood or tr- trauma response or or fuck, man. Sometimes we're just in our feelings. Like literally, there are times like just how the letter writer wrote logically three times in all caps, like logically I should have a response and not a reaction, you know, like sometimes my feelings are just bigger in my body. Sometimes they are taking up space and I need to, I need to feed them or I need to calm them or I need to acknowledge them or whatever in order for me to reach that better self. And I even hesitate to say better self because I just don't want this conversation to, I've been mindful about talking about the self-help world or the self-help journey in, in terms of enlightenment. Like, I just don't think like, I don't think people are more enlightened than other people. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I think that like, we just all have different paths and skills and reactions on on a varying day some days if my partner and I have a conflict I can move on really fast and yeah. other days I I'm I'm more wounded my feelings are bigger in my body and for sure that's just a human thing but going to that feeling that feeling of injustice of like this isn't enough I think it I think it like is a is maybe like core wounds flaring up at least for me mm-hmm. Because we were taught really young, subliminally or directly, that like, you know, a loving relationship is one in which there is no conflict or that if I disappoint you, then that means I'm risking you seeing the quote real me and you're going to leave me, you know? So like, I, I don't know, like conflict brings up a lot for me. And then to have someone I love hurt me challenges my, my societal understanding of what love is like there is this un- injustice that I'm feeling right there and for me the the core wound is is realizing that this person will never be perfect for me all the time therefore mm. I am susceptible to not being perfect to them too like it makes me feel that much more vulnerable I think mm-hmm. yeah and I think this I think that we've been fed some lies about how stuff like this works, which is like one of them is that like everyone needs to feel the same thing all the time. Right. Like we're all. Yes. Because of this like idea of like all humans react in the same way to the same things. Right. So like if I'm upset and you're not upset, then like something is wrong here. Right. Like you should be as upset as I am or you should be feeling the same thing that I am. And like that's just not the reality. Like, you know, when you're upset. Other people around you might not be upset and that's okay. doesn't mean that you need to be unupset and they need to somehow get upset. Like you're just having different experiences of this thing that's happening, right? So your partner might be cool and calm as a cucumber because they're not feeling the things you're feeling and that's okay, right? Like they can be calm, they can be collected, they can be logical and you can be emotional because like you're experiencing an emotion, 
right? And like we're yeah. told that like we're not supposed to do that. And also that like somehow resolving conflict means all the emotions go away, right? And that's mm. not true either, right? You can say, logically, I know that you didn't mean to do this. Logically, I know that this is all that you are sorry for it. And I'm still upset because my body is literally having a reaction to the thing that just happened. And it's okay. Like I can, you can be in conflict with somebody and say, I know you didn't mean to do this and I forgive you for it. And I'm still mad about it. Right. You don't want to do that for like a long time. Right. Cause that builds resentment, but especially like in right. the moment or like in the hours afterwards to like, I'm not saying you need to like scream at people. Right. And I'm not saying that you need to punish people for this, but it's okay for you to still be upset. Right. Like totally. Our goal is not that everyone exists in sort of this like equilibrium, like comfort all the time. That's impossible. And so we can't hold ourselves to that standard. <laughs> like you're going to be upset right. about stuff. And why wouldn't you be? Your partner said something that deeply hurt you. Of course, you're going to be mad and sad and upset about this. Like, and I love that your partner was like, I'm apologized for it. I love that. That's great. But that doesn't mean that the apology needs to make the feeling go away. Right. Right. Yeah, exactly. I'm thinking now too. like there's two things that I want to bring to the conversation. Like you can do all the head and heart work you want. You can like train yourself to have a response and not a reaction all you want. But your feelings are going to come. Mm -hmm. Feelings happen. I am I'm, I'm obsessed and in love with my wife. Right. She does and says things that make me feel feelings sometimes, right? Like <laughs> frustrating feelings, angry feelings, hurt feelings. That is inevitable. In the most healthy relationships, those feelings are going to come because those feelings are not a bad part of life. I think mm -hmm. we associate these feelings of conflict or misunderstanding or frustration with negative ne as negative things or as as part as a sign of like a unhappy life but like they exist all the time they're just a part of us they're not a bad thing right. and i i'm i'm wondering if we can challenge the the letter writer and our listeners and ourselves to like expand our understanding of this head and heart work and expand even the understanding of logically like logically i know i should have reacted differently but also you can say, logically, I know that I'm human and I'm having big feelings. And mm -hmm. so sometimes I say to Willow, like, I can't be my best self right now because I'm, I still feel really upset about this. I can't let it go right now. So maybe we can move on and circle back later. Or, you know, I, I'm still feeling really hurt. I know I, I'll even say this out loud to Shay. Like I'll say, I know this logic doesn't logically doesn't make sense, but I'm still feeling insecure about this. Absolutely. And what that what that is doing is literally combining forces of head and heart work, right? <laughs> we're, we're logically inviting in those illogical things. Mm -hmm. We're acknowledging them. We are naming them. We're making space for them. Yeah, because logic... The other thing I wanted to... Okay, no, go ahead. logic go. and emotion exist at the same time. Yeah. Right? And we're taught that they're opposed. Like, logic doesn't exist at the same time as emotion does. We have to get rid of all emotions to be able to think logically, whatever the fuck that means. But like mm -hmm. they exist at the same time. So like often in arguments or in times where I'm angry or upset about something that my spouse has done that I know they didn't do intentionally, 
I will say right. all of those things. Like, how can we get practice at naming all of the things that are happening? So like, I know that you didn't intend to do this and I know you're sorry about it and I'm still upset about it. I don't need you to fix it. I don't need you to do anything different in this moment. I need to just feel this and express this emotion that I'm feeling to you. I need to show you that this thing hurt me. And I, I know that it's not your fault that you didn't do it on purpose and it also hurts, right? Yeah. Right. And like, and, how- and we can live with that feeling, that tension. Mm-hmm. I think that's a, the, the thing I want to end on is that, you know, especially being in the partnership I am now, I've really had to learn that, like, we, we don't have a lot of conflict. But when we do, I have to decide that I'm going to let it go. I have to I have to <laughs> yeah, also that I have to choose. Like, so this is a little tangential, but it is like the icing on the cake that we just served that, you know, at the end of the day, I do have to decide that my partner's intentions were were good enough, right? Mm-hmm. Like that, that that she never intended to be cruel mm-hmm. or demeaning or not pay attention to me. You know, like she, she like her intent. I do have to at the end of the day. I so I so I make space for my feelings. I make space for my logic. I make space for her humanity and my humanity in all of its complexity. And then I also have to say, I think I'm going to believe. I, I think I'm going to let this go now. I like I I do think that there is emotion there that we can touch on, right? Because mm. we the truth is, my darling Shay, I could live in that land of injustice forever. Sure. That would feed my ego. Oh, absolutely. And my, yep. <laughs> and my wounds. And I have, let me tell you, I have lived in the land of injustice in terms of like in, interpersonal injustice mm-hmm. and being like, yeah, this fucker hurt me and I'm going to punish him forever for it, <laughs> you know, like, yep. um, and I think that there, there does come a time where you have to say, man, it sucks mm-hmm. <laughs> that I feel this way. I'm going to make space for all of this. It's it. I'm, I'm bummed that my partner disappointed me. Like that's a huge thing that I feel sometimes. Mm-hmm. And also I have to look at my partner and know that they are, a human with the best intentions for me. Mm-hmm. And we're never going to be perfect for each other. It's yep. never going to happen. So I say that to say that there are times where you, you're, you are just going to have to let it go, you know, for the benefit and sustainability of your, of your relationship or for, sure. and for your fucking sanity. Like I could drown myself in the injustice. Mm-hmm. I think that there are times in which I say, like I said before, I can't be my best self right now, or I'm still frustrated that you said that, but I understand your intention. I just need some space to air it out. Yep. I just need some space to let it go and I'll let it go tomorrow. I'm not going to think about it. I swear or something like that. Yeah, absolutely. And I think practicing some self-awareness around this stuff too is, is really important. Like how can you get to know yourself deeply enough to understand the symbolic conflict that's happening above this like actual conflict <laughs> right you're of so like, right There's this person some, yeah. said this person said this thing and what i heard was this which reinforces this thing that i think about myself right and not to say that and then you get over it right but to also be like and then you can have a conversation too with your partner to say like here's the thing that's happening within me i don't need you to agree with it i just want you to believe it i want you to believe that it's happening because like 
that's really how we can sort of build that intimacy muscle is to not say that we have to agree on everything because if we don't, then there's like a big symbolic conflict between us. But instead saying my stuff that I'm going through can exist at the same time as the stuff that you're going through. And they don't, I don't Mm. necessarily need to agree with or experience the same things you are, but we can both believe each other that these truths are true to both of us. Right? Like beautiful, right? We both believe that the other person is going through this thing and we affirm it and absolutely want to support it. And we can get to a point where we don't need to like blow up about it because we see what's happening with each other. Yeah. Shay, I love this conversation. (laughs) I will return to it for my own self. Um, Thank you so much for writing and we hope this helps. Thank you so much. We love you. All right, y'all know that Sam and I record every single episode of Just Break Up virtually. So I literally see this beautiful person on Zoom like multiple times a week. And every time Sam pops up into Zoom, I comment on their outfit. And I swear, like 99% of the time, I'm like, oh my God, that, that outfit is so cute. Where did you get it? Sam says quince. You too can upgrade your wardrobe with luxury essentials at unbeatable prices. Quince is here to transform the way you shop with a range of high quality items priced within reach. That's right. They have 100% Mongolian cashmere sweaters for $50, organic cotton sweaters, washable silk tops, and timeless 14 karat jewelry. And the best part, all Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middle person and passes that saving on to us. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and and premium fabrics and finishes. I love that. Y'all have heard me talk about my leather bag that I use as both a laptop bag and a diaper bag. And I love it because (laughs) (laughs) honestly, it looks really cute in every single circumstance that I use it. Indulge in affordable luxury. Go to quince.com slash just break up for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash just break up to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash just break up. All right, head and heart workers, you know, I'm all about tackling our money shame and becoming fiscally empowered, regardless of how much money we make or how much debt we have. I think it's such a crucial step in our own self-acceptance and empowerment. That's why I love that today's episode is sponsored by Rocket Money. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. With Rocket Money, you can see all of your subscriptions in one place. And if you see something you don't want, you can just cancel it with a tap. You never have to get on the phone with customer service. They'll even try to get you a refund for the last couple of months of wasted money and negotiate to lower your bills for you by up to 20%. All you have to do is take a picture of your bill and Rocket Money takes care of the rest. 
Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over $500 million in canceled unwanted subscriptions. And listen, we always talk to you about like conflict styles and open and honest communications, but honestly, save your energy and get Rocket Money to cancel those subscriptions for you. <laughs> Stop wasting yeah. you money. You don't need to practice that. Yeah. We don't need to do head and heart work with like customer service representatives. You know what I mean? Like just like... Use the middle person. <laughs> Just get Rocket Money in there to help you do what you need to do. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash justbreakup. That's rocketmoney.com slash justbreakup. Rocketmoney.com slash justbreakup. All right. Our next letter comes from regretful spender whose pronouns are she, her, who is writing from the crippling hole of self-inflicted credit card debt. I just moved out of there like <laughs> oh, a year and a half ago. That's great. Maybe you <laughs> two were neighbors ago, for yeah. a while. <laughs> yeah. Hello, Sam and Sierra. I want to um, pause. Uh, there was a letter that somebody wrote um, who I don't think moved into the yes pile, but uh, their name was, was Salmon Sierra. <laughs> like the word Salmon. And now every time I read the words Salmon Sierra, I think of Salmon Sierra. So kudos to whoever that letter writer was. It's a great name. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> that is so amazing. I know. I know, right? Uh, okay. Hello, Salmon Sierra. <laughs> right? Salmon Sierra. Uh, I, I want to first thank you for everything you both are doing to help so many strangers heal from heartbreak and for giving such sound advice. I'll Sam and Sierra is going to haunt me. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I know. You can't You can't get it out of your head once it's there. No, no. It's great. I'll get, I can't wait to go. Oh my God. I should have, for Halloween, I should have gone as Sam and Sierra. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. How would you do it? Just like wear a wig like my hair and then wear like coral. I guess. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> I think that's a great, a great idea. Yeah. I'll get straight to the point. My partner, he, him, and I, she, her, are both in our late 20s and have had a few ups and downs over the course of our decade-long relationship. But for the most part, and especially in recent years, it has been very healthy. During the pandemic, I accidentally developed a pretty severe shopping addiction, I was laid off from my job and actually ended up making nearly double on unemployment that I was working at work due to the $600 bonuses and stimulus checks. I've never felt like I was balling so hard, so I went a little bit nuts, and then even after returning to work at that lower pay, I continued spending. I used to have a really healthy savings account that I was proud of, and somehow I blew through all of it and then some. I am now about $5,000 in credit card debt, which I actively tried to hide from my partner. I was so sketchy, y'all. I was receiving about five packages a day and I would always try to sneak them inside or take them to my car so my partner wouldn't see how much stuff I was getting. When he would see something new I got and ask how much it was, I would always downplay the cost. Like if something cost $50, I would say $30 or something like that. I have no idea why these little white lies kept slipping out. And after I would say them, my brain would immediately go, why the fuck are you lying though? <laughs> Anyway, one day I finally had a breakdown and confessed everything to my partner. He was mostly disappointed because pre-pandemic we were looking at buying a house together. And then as the market skyrocketed, we shifted to a different goal of finding a rental home just for the sake of obtaining a yard for our dog since we live in an apartment that doesn't have one. 
My huge spending spree derailed that whole plan as I am no longer able to afford any down payments or increases in rent. He was pretty angry with me, understandably, and I feel terrible about it. I know I now live with a pit of guilt in my stomach every day and it blows. Well, I'm proud to say that then and there on that very day, I did a complete 180 and stopped spending money cold turkey on things I didn't need. And since then, I have kept up with that really well, which was not an easy feat because online shopping became such a mindless habit for me and habits are always hard to quit. But I did. And even though it will take me months to pay off my credit card debt, I'm proud that I have been so disciplined for the last two months or so. However, that conversation unfortunately created a weird power dynamic in my relationship, I think. He now wants to check my banking app at random without warning, which he asked for my consent for, and I agreed because I need to be held accountable, and honestly, I think that has really helped me stop. But he makes passive-aggressive comments all the time now. For example, if I point out a couch on a commercial that I really like or something, he will say, too bad we can't afford a new couch right now, things like that. And yes, they are always, they always are things that small. I've noticed he has started taking more control of our day-to-day -day life too, almost acting as my manager rather than partner. He's a lot more bossy about chores and has gotten more particular about the way we do things in general. I get the sense that he feels that I am in debt to him now. And now I feel like I'm living like a dog with a tail between her legs every day. Last week, I got a package for pimple patches, which I use all the time and really helped me keep my acne at bay. I deprived myself from ordering them for a few weeks because I was trying so hard not to spend any money, but my skin got so awful, I flaked on a friend's birthday pool party because I was feeling so self-conscious about my skin, Aww. and I knew I wouldn't be able to keep it hidden in a pool, so I ordered them. Even just that one package made him get super judgy and shamey at me, which felt really unfair because he also hasn't acknowledged how well I've been doing at all. I felt like he was just waiting for me to fuck up, and then that one package confirmed in his mind that I haven't changed my ways at all. At first, I felt like his harsh treatment was warranted because at the end of the day, I really did mess up pretty badly and derailed our plans for our future for both of us, which was really uncool. But now I just find that I'm feeling angry at him for making me feel so guilty and acting like he's better than me or something. This is causing a huge strain in our relationship, and I feel like it shouldn't have to. If the tables were turned, I'd imagined I would be upset with him too, sure, but I would also approach it with more support and less shaming and celebrate the positive changes he was successfully making. Because quitting a habit or an addiction is so hard. I can't change what already happened. All I can do is try to repair the damage, which I feel I am doing successfully, and yet he is still showing signs of resentment toward me. Is our relationship doomed now? Do you think he will get past this, or am I wasting my time sticking with someone who clearly lost all respect for me? Do you think there's anything I can say or do that will turn his attitude around? Any advice you can give will be so helpful because I'm at a loss for what to do now. Thank you for reading Regretful Spender. Oh, Regretful Spender, we love you so much. Thank you so much for writing and for sharing this vulnerable story and, and or pickle, if you want to call it that. Yeah, pickle, um, maybe. Yeah. What a fun hmm. word I've never heard before. <laughs> <laughs> Um, <laughs> you're a punk. Um, okay, so regretful spender. Uh, I just want to first say thank you for sharing this because, like, um, I I don't think that this is going to be an uncommon experience. Like, mm. I I believe that online spending probably and and shopping addictions peaked during the pandemic. For sure, right? We were going through a 
um, a global experience that none of us have ever experienced before. A lot of triggers happened. A lot of people relapsed. A lot of people went down a path that they're trying to get off of now. So I'm just grateful that you were vulnerable enough to share this. Um, and I just want to explicitly start by saying um, having debt doesn't make you a bad person. Having debt makes you human. Mm. Um, and that you did an amazing job by quitting cold turkey, right? And also you deserve those pimple patches, right? It Like mm-hmm. I want to big you up and make you understand that like, yeah, you made a, you might've made choices that you don't necessarily subscribe to now or feel like we're the best choices. Um, but we, we make bad choices all the time. That's what humans <laughs> so do. <true. laughs> yep. That's like literally what we're made up of, right? And now you're making different choices. That's literally growth, right? Mm-hmm. So forgive yourself, make some space for that forgiveness um, and that self-empathy because that's what's going to fuel these upcoming conversations that I'm going to ask you to have with your partner. Yes, absolutely. Um, and I do in this want to make some space for your partner too, which I know that you're already doing, but I think that there might be some folks who are listening who might be a little judgy of your partner and the way that he's behaving in this moment of checking your bank account yeah. and making you feel bad for things. Um, and I want to create a little space for him too to say that like it is really challenging when our partners withhold things from us and when they yeah. do things that impact our vision of the future as well, right? Like this, I want to create space for both of you in this moment to say that like you two in this moment are going through something really challenging and both of you are going to behave in ways that maybe aren't your best or that maybe aren't necessarily helpful, but, but you're both trying your best in this moment and you're experiencing this thing, not at odds with each other, but in partnership together, right? Like you're both in this moment together of you being disappointed with what you've done, of him being disappointed with what you've done and of trying to find a way forward. I will credit you both with like committing to trying to find a way forward, even if it right now in this moment isn't necessarily working well for either of you. So like, I just want to, I want to like affirm. I think that's beautiful. (laughs) Both both of you in this and like offer our listeners and folks who might be judging in this moment to put on your empathy hat and really examine the fact (laughs) of like. Mine's crochet. Yeah, right. Of how. Mine is actually a fascinator. It's not a hat. It's like, it's just really tiny and it's like pinned here and it looks very stylish. Um, (laughs) Of recognizing how challenging the situation is for both of you. Yeah, totally. And I think that like, you're right. I I have an initial aversion to the idea of him checking your bank account. But Sam is 100% right. Like, you know what? When I was cheated on and I found out that I was cheated on and stayed with that person, I did all sorts of wild things, y'all. I justified wild things (laughs) to make my pain and insecurity go away. Right. And I'm a different person now. I wouldn't do that again. Who knows what I would do? Oh, oh absolutely. Who knows? This. I would burn this fucking house down. Let yeah. me tell you. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, I also want to say like, before hopefully I get your into house the never burns down because then like, the arson investigator is oh, yeah, yeah. going to be like, yeah, 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 yeah. Remember that time that Sierra said in her podcast that she would burn her house down? <laughs> Uh, uh, yeah. Well, then I would look at my wife and say, look what you, <laughs> you made did me this. do. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, just kidding. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> well, man, we I'm so toxic today. <laughs> uh, okay. I, the other thing I want to say before I get into it is um, 
I relate to this letter um, not because of a sh- spending addiction, but I had in one of my most important relationships prior to my marriage, I had this dynamic that we, my partner and I both sort of didn't realize was growing um, that he made, he felt like he was my caretaker, right? Mm. And it was this power dynamic, as you said, this shift in which resentment was was building for him and and for me because I felt like he didn't trust me to be an adult, all of these things. And I just want to say that 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 unhealthy dynamic, power dynamic in a relationship is not a death sentence for a relationship, mm. especially when you both enter the arena with your empathy hats on, ready to work together as a team and ready to really – be accountable to your wounds, accountable to your reactions, mm-hmm. and accountable to growing and rebuilding together. Yep. Like my relationship didn't work, but <laughs> 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 but like looking back on that relationship, I see I didn't have the same tools then, y'all. Like, and I didn't have the same. Well, I didn't have the same desire to stay in the relationship. Truly, mm-hmm. but like. Looking back, I I see ways in which we could have disrupted that dynamic and disempowered it instead of letting it run us into the ground. Mm-hmm. You know, I and I truly believe that. So I don't I don't say that to say that your relationship is doomed like mine was. Mine was. Mine wasn't. We we didn't try. But but this is not an end all be all. Is all I wanted to say. Sure. Um, so. The first thing I want you to do is you need to have another put it all on the table conversation with your partner. Mm-hmm. This is not over, like the the coming out of it, right? The revealing of this addiction and this secrecy um, was just was just step one. There's going to be like step 10, you know, Um and the next step is going to be having another conversation and 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 vocalizing this, literally leaning into that vulnerability and saying, "I'm I'm feeling how my mistakes have shifted, my choices have shifted the dynamic of our relationship, and I don't like the direction in which it's going. And honestly, I can tell that you don't like it either because I can tell you're more anxious, more paranoid, that you're disappointed in me, and I want to work together." to redirect this ship, to right this ship, right? To rebuild together, both fiscally and romantically. Um, You know, I think about what we've told people in the past, like getting over cheating or some sort of like life altering shift in your understanding of a relationship. And it has to be while making space for your partner's experience, because Sam's totally right. This is this is happening to him too, right? Mm-hmm. His shared mm-hmm. vision. Um, you both have to decide how. No, you both have to decide that you want to move on from this. That's true. Number one, right? Yep. You have to decide that you're ready to forgive yourself. He's ready to forgive you, right? Maybe he's not ready right away, but like mm-hmm. that has to be the end goal, right? And. Yep. And maybe the conversation starts by saying, like, I want to rebuild this together. We're not going to be able to rebuild it together if you can't see yourself trusting me in the future. Yeah. How can we rebuild that trust? How can, you know, like, 
little things like the comment about the couch, I want you to explicitly say, I, I need you to stop making these remarks. I know that you're hurting and I want to be able to affirm that hurt in a different way than those snide remarks because they're wearing me down and they're feeding this power dynamic that isn't serving our relationship anymore. For sure. Well, and I would even take a step back from that and get really curious about those comments as well, right? To say things yeah. like, hey, when we were watching that commercial and I said that thing about that couch, you said, well, now we can't afford it. And I'm curious what what you meant by that, right? Because what I heard from that was that you are still mad at me, you're still upset. And the fact that we can't buy that couch is my fault. And if Right. And saying like, if that's the intent that you wanted to have, or if that's the impact you wanted to have, like, that's not acceptable to me. Or to say like, if that's not what you meant, we let's talk about how that felt for me. Right. Or how that right to like, to not necessarily assume that he is also in the space where he is intentionally creating this power dynamic. Right. Because like, right. It may very well be that he is. And I want to affirm that it may very, very well be right. that he's not. And that you're feeling a lot of guilt in this situation and you're sort of reading things in this relationship differently, right? And I don't know, I'm not in your relationship. I'm not there. But I, I would encourage you to get really curious about what's underneath the surface of what's happening and what you're reading into things, what he's reading into things and try and bring those things into the into yeah. the surface as much as possible. I also think like getting aligned on some shared goals in this, right? Like having a conversation around like, is the goal to figure out how to move on from this, right? And then we yeah. can sort of assess some of the things that we're doing and whether or not they're in alignment with that goal. So yes. like if our if our goal is to repair this relationship and move on and sort of leave this thing that happened, fully acknowledging the emotional impacts, but to leave it behind us and figure out what's going to come next, then like these types of comments aren't in alignment with that goal, right? They're like, they're getting in the right. way of us doing that. So like, Right. I know that we share this and like this is going to this isn't helping us move towards that goal. Um, yeah. And I think just getting really, really curious about that. Right. Like in these types of situations, the shame can create all sorts of narratives on all sides. Right. Because somebody has yeah. done something very wrong and somebody's in the right and somebody's not. Right. And so like how are how are you two really committing to talking about these things and addressing stuff as it comes up in a way that is like here's what you said. Here's how it felt to me. How did it feel to you? Like what's going on here? Right. Cause that's really how relationship repair happens is by not mm. just letting the snide comments sit because you're the, you're the dog with the tail between your legs and he can say anything that he wants. And just assuming that everything he says is some sort of punishment for you. Right. right. Like really trying to be like, get it out, get it, get it up above the, the water line so that you can talk more about it and actually like talk about what's happening and not just what you all are assuming is happening. I love that so much. And I love the phrase relationship repair because it, it's, it's intentional work, right? Like, or it's at least intentionality, right? Um, being able to align your goals, be vulnerable, not be defensive. Oh man, I get my like go-to feeling when I talk about money is to be defensive. And For I sure. have to turn, I have to, I have to literally turn the switch off in my brain and be like, I'm not going to let that come here. You know, yep. uh, not, not that it doesn't serve a purpose, right? It's trying to tell me, it's trying to tell me about a wound I have. Right. But I know that like that, at least in my relationship, shared conversations about money, don't need to make me feel ashamed, right? Mm -hmm. Don't need me to be defensive, right? 
Um, and I think you're, you have, like I said before, you have a lot of really vulnerable conversations ahead of you, even just like l- learning the language of checking your defensiveness, checking your resentment at the door, you know, making space for imagining something new, mm-hmm. you know, I would even like, I don't know if this is real, but in all practicality, I might say something like in some iteration of this conversation, I might say like, this isn't this isn't working <laughs> the way that we're healing from this now. I can see us not being able to recover from this. Can we shift our the way we're healing to a way that that leads us to a path of togetherness, you yep. know? Yep. And I also would say that there can be you can absolutely ask your boyfriend for more encouragement. There can be affirmation within accountability, right? There can be affirmation within healing. He's going to need that too. I, I can, I've noticed this week that you haven't sent any hurtful comments to me. I just want to tell you how I see that effort and how much it means to me and how much more confident it makes me feel in this journey, right? For sure. He's going to need the affirmation too, but you're going to, like, you're allowed to ask him for that. Absolutely. It can exist within the same thing. Absolutely. And I think you can acknowledge the reality of the situation too, of saying stuff like, okay, I I'm going to have to buy things, right? Like that's just the yeah. way of the world. Like I'm going to need to purchase things for my life. So how right. can we get to a place where when I purchase something that you trust me enough to know that it's something that I need or that something was inexpensive and that you're not going to get mad at me for doing it because it's going to happen. So we need we need tools right. to help figure out how we're going to get through it because it's inevitably going to happen. Like I can't live my whole life without buying a thing. Like that's just, it's not right. a reality, right? So like- acknowledging that like, yep, what's the protocol for this? Because we know it's going to happen. So let's not pretend like it's not going to. And what's our goal together? What are we working on as a pair to like help mend this relationship? And so like, does it mean that you have to warn him before the package comes? Does it mean that you, um, that, you know, you tell him how much it was or like whatever it is, like what are some of the protocols that you can use to help to do that? Or is it even just reminding our, each other in that moment to say like, remember, we have a shared goal around around how we're moving through this together. And I needed these and I want, I need you to trust that I needed these. And, and I'm interested in like moving forward. And I know that this is challenging and I know that emotions are happening. And like, this is what we talked about. This is the thing that's happening now that we're, we talked about getting through, right? So like, just being really, again, out front and honest about what is happening and the reality that you two are living in. And at the same time, with all of this advice and all of these things that you can say, I just also want to remind you to see and affirm his pain in the situation, right? And not yeah. use these tools as a way to sort of not acknowledge that you did something wrong, but instead to say, yes, I did this thing and it deeply hurt you. It really hurt your trust it really affected our relationship in some negative ways. And yeah. I feel awful that that happened and I'm committed to doing differently. And right. here are some of the things that I think we can be working on to help us get to a point where we can love and trust each other again. Right. Yeah. Cause I, I don't want you to go into this being like, here's the things you have to get over this, but like apologies and working through this relationship doesn't mean that you have to negate the fact that he's feeling yeah. a really understandable way about the hurt and pain that you've caused him. Yeah. Which isn't to say you're a bad person because Mm. like addiction and debt happen. People live with that all 
all over the world, right? Absolutely. And people we all live do things, and function, right? We all do things that hurt other people. Like we we cannot yes. walk oh through this God, world not sure. hurting other people. Like yeah. it's just going to happen. So yeah. you're not a bad person for hurting him or for doing this thing. You've just done things that you regret and like welcome yeah. to the human condition, friend. <laughs> like yeah, totally. that's what life is. <laughs> yeah. And let me just take this last couple minutes to shout out my life-changing budgeting app. <laughs> mm-hmm. Because literally I hear your situation and I think about myself, how, you know, prior to my marriage or, or you know, over the last couple of years, I was sitting on credit card debt that I had accrued basically because A, I, I hadn't been like fiscally educated <laughs> sure. and B, um, because I spent a lot of money in a toxic relationship, <laughs> mm. which is a real thing that I feel like uh, we should talk about more. Um, and I hated that debt. I was so ashamed of that debt, especially because of the reasons why I spent some of that money, right? Um, for a terrible person. <laughs> uh-huh. um, and that person was me. Just kidding. <laughs> um, <laughs> I was in a relationship with I, myself. <laughs> yeah, it was really toxic. Um, <laughs> but I just want to say uh, the the budgeting app that I use to... Uh, dig myself out of debt and um, really under give myself some fiscal stability and be able to be like now my partner and I use the debt the the app together um, and it gives us a great vision in terms of what we can financially accomplish like it allows us to see and tackle financial goals together I mean I did it independently at first like my wedding present to my spouse was to pay off all my debt Um, And now we're using it together. So this is all to say this app has been life-changing for me. And it really took me from a shame of uh, a a place of shame. And um, what I felt like was a lack of fiscal understanding to a place of fiscal empowerment. Even if I'm not making $100,000 a year, like I feel in control of the money that I do make. Mm. Um, And I feel like I can tackle... um, large purchases and and small amounts of debt and things like that. So anyway, the app is called You Need a Budget, shortened to YNAB, Y-N-A-B on Instagram. Everybody who uses it is like fucking obsessed with it. (laughs) Um, And it has truly like changed my life. Um, It is a complicated app to get used to but once you get it like there's free tutorials online a bunch of free resources about like how to use it best for you I I just I can't suggest it enough because it truly did change my life and my and so much of my shame around money so Mm. maybe that's a resource that you two can execute together maybe you can do by yourself check it out I love that yeah um, regretful spender, we love you. We see all of this. We see your partner in this. And we know that with the right vulnerability and bravery and conversations, this is something that you, you can you can write this ship. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I have so much faith that you and your your boyfriend can work this out. We love you so much. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy 
happy price. Go to your happy price, price line. All right. The final letter comes to us from Sad About Dad, but once love, whose pronouns are she, her, who is writing to us from The Void. Hi, Sierra and Sam. I want to start by saying that this podcast has become a staple in my life and I look forward to it every week. I feel like I'm listening to my friends chat when I listen on my commute. It brings me so much comfort and joy. Thanks for all that you do. I'd like to add a trigger warning for grief and paternal terminal illness in this letter. So here's my situation. I'm a 26-year-old, pretty securely attached, bi, pan, queer, who knows woman, she, her. I was in a relationship with a wonderful man for three years and we lovingly parted ways earlier this year. Y'all helped me a lot through that breakup. So thank you so much. The past few months, I've been casually dating a bit and getting to interact with my queerness in real time for the first time, which has been really amazing and affirming. Y'all have also helped me with that. So thank you for that too. It's been really fun, exciting, and joyful. Part of the reason my partner and I parted ways was because I desired to be in a relationship that felt like a partnership that was growing. So I know that this is something I value and desire eventually. So here's my problem. A few years ago, my dad was diagnosed with a terminal illness that breaks down his cognitive and physical ability slowly over time. I was really close to my dad and watching this happen has been pretty crushing. I started in therapy almost immediately after finding out and have spent the last three years working through functional prolonged grief. The prognosis for my dad's illness is anywhere between seven and 20-ish years. My parents have, from the beginning, been adamant that my siblings and I stay where we are and keep trying to live full lives as we go through this, a nice thought, but really also hard to do. In my last relationship, I felt comfortable letting my partner into the grief process because I already knew him and I felt comfortable with him. But as I've started to see a new person, I'm really struggling with how to navigate this. My dad seems to be declining quite quickly now, and it's more likely that he'll pass away within the year. However, there's no way to confirm that. So we're all just stuck in this horrible purgatory. The woman, she, her, I have been seen, has tried to be there for me and offered support, but I honestly don't want to talk about it. I'm struggling to even let my closest friends support me through this because honestly, talking to them means I have to talk about it and feel it. Sorry, I'm going to cry. <laughs> it's okay. And doing that makes staying present in my life feel impossible. I feel her getting more connected to me, and I also know that she desires a more serious relationship at some point. I'm worried that I'm too shut off from my feelings to give her that. I know that at some point my dad is going to die, and that I'm not going to be a fun, casual person to date when that happens. I also feel like I'm too overwhelmed with grief and stress about my family to get close enough to a new person to be serious right now. A part of me feels like maybe I should just be single until my dad passes away because bringing someone else into this feels really unfair and like it's way too much pressure for a new relationship. I also have no idea how much longer this will go on. And the big life lesson seems to be that life is short. So live it while you can. So shutting myself off from the idea of love and partnership feels like exactly what my parents would not want me to doing. The stakes all just feel really high, and I feel confused about what to do. I honestly have fear that this loss will damage me so much that I won't be able to be a partner I so deeply want to be to someone. Subjecting someone new to this feels unkind, but keeping myself isolated does too. 
I feel like I'm working hard to advocate for the quality of my life and take care of the tender parts of me that desire love and connection, all while butting up against the limits of my capacity. I guess my question is this. Do you all have any thoughts about how to navigate dating in the midst of trauma? Mm. Is that even worth doing? Any insight y'all have would mean the world to me. And writing this out has been super cathartic. Thank you again for creating a space that feels so safe for sharing heartache. I love you both so much. XOXO sad. Mm. Yeah, that was hard to read. Yeah. Um, I think that it was hard to read because it was so like real, <laughs> like so vulnerable. And, and again and again and again, I think Sam and I are so moved by your guys' trust in us that you guys would think of us when you experience such like devastatingly challenging experiences. So I think that's what I'm feeling right now. Like so grateful to be thought of and and inadequate and also honored and um and sorry. I I just if we are that safe space that you say that we are, then know that your hurt and your heartache and your grief is sitting squarely in the middle of that safe space, surrounded by so much empathy and so much um, just uh, witness. We're witnessing it. Mm. Yeah. I mean, when I first read this letter, I didn't even know what the advice would be in this situation, yeah. right? Like, I don't know that I knew, um, I don't know that I had some, like any sort of draw to it because of the, because there was quick and easy advice that we could do. Um, I right. was just really drawn to it because of how vulnerable it was and how, um, just a reminder of the fact that people are just going through so much shit all the time, right? And that, yeah. Um, and at the same time, even as we're experiencing all of this pain and all of this sorrow and sadness, we still are craving connection to other people, right? We are still craving community from relationships, romantic relationships, from uh, podcasts that we listen to, from Facebook groups we're a part of, right? Like just this... Um, my experience of grief is that grief is so incredibly isolating because it feels like mm. no one can ever understand the inside of this. Um, and what I've come to realize too is that like that craving for community is reciprocated in so many different ways, right? That mm. other people want to love and support us as well, even if we don't want it, right? And I I love that you talked about how you know, you're this person that you're seeing, this woman that you're seeing has been trying to be there for you and offering support and you just don't want it. Like that is such a real, real beautiful expression of grief because like that, that feeling is so familiar of being like, I desperately mm -hmm. want community. And also I just want people to stop talking to me. <laughs> like just that, that paradox of, of what grief feels like, or at least what my grief felt like. So I just felt really kindred to you, um, sad, and um, just really wanted to to hear and see you 
and to give you the space on our podcast to talk about your experience and and the things that you're feeling. So thank you for writing in and thank you for trusting us with this really important uh, letter. And I think Sam and I, like Sam said earlier, we don't know what the right move is for you. We don't have like a textbook answer to go to of like, yeah, it's totally cool to date, you know, while you're going through trauma or not. Right. Um, I think that there are arguments to be made about both sides, about pursuing connection at a time in which you might not be all there, you know, or is the priority to maintain self-care, you know, Mm -hmm. make it through this. Like as Sam's therapist said, this is a time of maintenance and not growth, right? Mm -hmm. Maybe this is a time of maintenance and not um, romance. I I don't know. But there are a couple things that I I do just want to echo back to you um, to the sentiment of like wanting to have connection, but like feeling afraid that you're not going to be a fun person to date. You know, mm-hmm. um, like I think a couple episodes ago, Sam said, like, I'm not feeling really fun. <laughs> you know, like it's not it hasn't been a really fun year, you know, mm-hmm. and um, this doesn't sound really fun. And I guess I just want to, like, lovingly remind you that um Dating doesn't inherently mean swallowing who you are. Mm. Um, dating means opening yourself up to the vulnerability of connection. And that vul- it's vulnerable because if you do it authentically, if you do it um, openly, then you, you might, somebody might be able to meet you here in this For cesspool sure. of grief and humanity, right? Um, like... I guess I want to just relieve you of the pressure to be happy-go-lucky while dating. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I know that that is the narrative. I know that's what I would want to do too, right? And also, like, fuck that. I'm not. I'm. I'm going to ask your subconscious to not add another thing for you to be inadequate in here. You know, like mm. I'm, I'm going to ask your your heart to like relieve you of that pressure and maybe pass on some like radical acceptance, not of this loss, right? Not of this grief that will maybe never make sense, Mm -hmm. but of yourself in this moment that this is the best that you can do. And this best is expansive and complicated and Mm. and fucking sad. And you don't, you don't have to be more than that to be, worthy of love and connection. You don't have to be more than that to like, I don't know, be on Tinder. Like (laughs) I'm not even saying be on Tinder right now, but I guess I just like, I read that and I was so distinctly reminded of when Sam's, you know, a letter writer wrote in and was like, I'm having a hard time dating because I'm not really feeling light and fun lately. And Sam was like, me neither. (laughs) Like, I'm not feeling that way. You know, are you, you know? And I think we said something in that letter about like, it's not about putting out the perfect version of yourself. Mm. It's about leaning into the vulnerability that somebody could actually see you in all of this and not need you to be more and not need you to put it on. And that 
and that you could actually potentially find connection and all of that. For sure. Uh, again, not that you need to. Like, I, I don't know what the right answer is here, but um, I de th the right answer is definitely not trying to make yourself more cheery and more date and more like date date appropriate or whatever. Yeah, for sure. I think that's that's super true. And I, you know, I think that um, it's hard for me to be only casual and fun, especially since my dad died, right? Because like I feel like I carry around this not necessarily weight but this like sort of thing that sort of grounds me or or keeps me really on the ground because it it's hard to it's hard to not acknowledge the tragedy that exists in this world um when you've experienced something really tragic <laughs> like it's just like really hard right. to not do that um and i will say that my experience is that like yes I will try and be casual and fun and recognize that it's not serving me anymore in a way that I probably couldn't do before my dad died, right? Where I would spend, still spend a lot of time being casual and fun and it wasn't working really well for me, but I just like was, it was easier for me to mm -hmm. do. But I think now that it's harder for me to do and now that I don't try and do it, I actually have found deeper connection with people because yeah. it turns out most people are really bad at being just casual and fun, right? Most people are not great at that. Some people are for sure. And I love those people and they're fantastic, but really sort of recognizing my own grief, the own stuff that I'm going through, sitting in it, owning it, pretending like it's not, not happening has created more deep connections with the people around me um, that have allowed me to deepen my understanding of people and, yeah. and get past sort of fast and casual. So like, yeah, I think you can do it. I don't know that you need to do it in this moment, right? Like you don't have to, you don't have to feel everything that you're feeling right now, right? Like you just, sometimes the thing you have to do is just get to tomorrow, right? The thing that you have to do oh, yeah. is just like figure out how to keep yourself, you know, bathed and fed and get enough sleep and, drink enough water right and like that might be it um so it's just like it's such a complicated situation to be in but i will say that like letting people see more of what you're going through and pr and allowing that experience to also create empathy for what others are going through as well as at least for me and my experience right and recognizing that i'm three years out and you are in the the meat of it and even three years out I still feel like I'm in the meat of it but like um, yeah but just recognizing the fact that like I think when you allow people to see more deeply into you they also allow you to see more deeply into them and there's something really profound and beautiful about that experience so I don't think you need to close yourself off to other people unless it's the thing that you need to do to like keep your body moving from today to tomorrow, yeah. <laughs> right? Like I if, totally agree. If that's it, then great. That's totally fine. But like allowing people in is wonderful and it allows people to be more fully themselves as well. And, you know, this person that you're seeing wants to do it. And I know that that can be hard to believe. It was really hard for me to believe that people wanted to help and support me in that time. But like they want to. That's reality. They want yeah. to love you. They care about you. They want to support you. And it took me a long time to learn how to believe that um, and to let that happen. But it has profoundly changed me to recognize that like people care about me 
and want to support me. It's not a burden. I'm not doing anything wrong to them. They just love me. Like, that's it. They just love yeah. me and they want to be there. You're right. You're right. That makes me deeply emotional. <laughs> um, I also want to say kind of on that note, just that like, I, I don't know how the fuck you date during this time. Like, I don't know the steps of this, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I don't know if it's like, like if you weren't seeing this woman, if do you like put this in your Tinder bio? Like how the fuck, (laughs) this is an impossible situation that you're put into, right? But I also, just like Sam was saying right there, want to remind you that like, I don't know about you, but I am no longer afraid of the ways in which the world can devastate Mm -hmm. us, right? Mm -hmm. Of course, I want my loved ones to be safe and healthy and fed and loved. And of course, I want to live as long as this body will let me, right? But like I'm grown, you know, like I, I am not under the illusion, the disillusionment that like this world is easy and pretty all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, which is to say this letter is wildly heartbreaking and impossible and also incredibly familiar. Mm-hmm. I am not afraid of your grief. Mm-hmm. I'm not afraid of loving you through this grief. I know it will be impossible. And I keep on using that word because there's, I use that word because I feel like this is such an life gives us these fucking impossible things that we that we literally look at and we were like, I have no idea how I'm going to do it. And then we do it. And then mm-hmm. we do it because we have to. And that's why I'm saying impossible. So it's the same thing about like your grief. Like, I feel like this is impossible. And, you know, I have no idea how I would love you through this, but I would do it because I'm not afraid of it. And, um, yeah, again, like, I don't think Sam and I have a lot of specific advice about what to do. Most importantly, we want to make you feel seen. Mm -hmm. We want to remind you that you are, this does not make you more unlovable. This does not make you like a falsehood of yourself. Like, you are whatever you are right now and the right people who are in your life, like Sam said, they love you. They Mm want to take care of you. You're not like a, you are not the worst thing that is going to happen to them. Mm. Right. And so I don't want you to think about yourself as like bringing this dark cloud into people's lives. There are dark fucking clouds, my friend, you know, and this happens to be a fucking shitstorm of one, right? Yep. But that doesn't mean you are you are bringing you're not actively hurting the people you love or the people you seek connection from by asking them for for them to see you in this shitstorm, right? Mm. That is what connection is all about. And I don't know about you, but I I'm not afraid to love you. Oh, absolutely not. And I've found <laughs> that I'm so much more drawn to people who can talk about their experience of the things that have happened to them, right? Because not only does it allow us to connect meaningfully to say, oh, I see you in that pain and I love you in it. It also allows for the idea that like that pain isn't going to come out sideways, right? Like that pain isn't going to come out in weird ways that are going to hurt me. But with people who are able to sort of say like, Right now, my dad is going through a terminal illness and I love him so much and I deeply 
attached to him and this has been a really hard few years and it's going to maybe be another hard 17 years right it could be a really yeah, hard and six i don't months know or, what that means yeah absolutely yeah. and like i this is what i'm and i'm going through this and i don't know what it means and i don't know what the the right feelings are like how to express it like i'm so drawn to that type of ability to communicate because it means that like you are in touch with the reality of your own pain in ways that so right. many people are avoidant of but that makes it come out in weird ways right talking to people who have gone through similar things or talking to people who say, who are upfront about the things that they're going through. I am so drawn to it because it allows me to know that this person is experiencing something and working through something and they know that it's happening and they want to sit in it and they yeah. want to acknowledge it and talk about it. Um, and they want to, they want to do exactly what Bernie Brown tells us around. Like they want to be in the arena because I'm in the arena all the time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and guess what? You didn't ask to be there, right? No. Like life fucking put you there. And then you're like, well, fuck. Uh-huh. Fuck. <laughs> Absolutely. And like, that's, I want to be with people who are in the arena. I don't, I'm not interested Me in too, folks Sam. who are going to sit on the sidelines and, and talk about or judge or not talk about the things that they're going through. So like, I know that this is really hard and I know that it feels like it's overwhelming and I don't want to pretend like add to your burden of like, not only do you have to get over yeah. this, but you also have to figure out how to be in relationship with other people. Like, how that's to put not, yourself out there. <laughs> yeah, right? Like, yeah. it's not at all what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is that the fact that you can talk to us about all of this is so, has felt, made me feel so connected to you through words on a page, right? Yes, And totally. I just mean to totally. say that like, your grief isn't making you less lovable or less connectable because I'm feeling deeply connected to you and I am loving you very it deeply is, in this moment. It is overflowing, the love we have. I mean, I have, I still have tears in my eyes, not at your grief, but at your humanity mm. um, and that you would share that with us. Um, so, man, fuck, I hope that this helps and yeah. I hope you feel heard and I hope you feel whatever level of bravery you need to know that you are not a burden on the people around you who are seeking your connection. Mm, absolutely. We fucking love you. We do. We hope you are hanging in there and taking care of yourself in the way that you can. And just know that we'll, we love you through all of this, through all of this pain. Ooh, I'm like still deeply emotional about all that. I don't remember the last time I cried through an entire answer. <laughs> it's, a, anyway. it's a heavy one for sure. Well, I think it's just like, I just feel deeply honored to do this with you. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right, friends. <laughs> it's fucking blind. <laughs> And it's life goes blind on. Date time. <laughs> and life goes on. And we have to pick another thing we like today. <laughs> All right. Uh, every episode, we like to shout out something that we love that we want to set you up with. And this week's blind date is. It's a book that two of my friends wrote, which I'm super excited about. It is called Hiring Revolution A Guide to Disrupt Racism and Sexism in Hiring by my friends, Trina C. Olson and Alfonso T. Wenker. Um, 
And so these are friends and also the folks who co-founded the company that I work for that is not just breakup. Um, but this book is great for folks who are working in HR or who are people who are involved in hiring in some way. Um, it has like really tangible tools. It's like all of the stuff that we train on as an organization, but like written into a book form um, that really helps us create a self-awareness that allows us to understand our own patterns, our own preferences, our own behaviors, and check the biases that sort of reinforce those patterns and behaviors. Um, and it's just like, it's full of like really tangible things to help you figure out like, how do you write a job description that doesn't exclude people unnecessarily? Or like, how are you encouraging mm. folks through the interview process in a way that's like affirming of their real lives and not just like, here's 10 questions that uh, yeah. are really vague that you need to answer, right? So like, it's fantastic. They're fantastic people. They are really trying to change the entire way that the, um, the employment works in the United States to be something that is better to help support people in their identities and their experiences. Um, and I'm super excited for them that this book is coming out. Um, you can get That's it awesome. on Amazon. You can also go to hiringrevolutionbook.com to order it. Um, but it's called Hiring Revolution, A Guide to Disrupt Racism and Sexism in Hiring by Trina C. Olson and Alfonso T. Wenker. I think that's awesome. I can't wait to check it out. Yeah. All right, everyone. Thank you so much for listening and for supporting us. On, nope. Thank you so much for listening. And <laughs> <laughs> you can like us on Facebook and you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Just Break Up Pod. You can slide into our DMs, send us your favorite relationship memes, but most importantly, you can submit your questions about all matters of the heart at JustBreakUpPod.com. And make sure, y'all, make sure to stay tuned to the debut of our first ever Head & Heart Work interview series. Um, Sam and I are so thrilled to like share this new content with you. Um, we've learned and grown in these conversations, um, and we're mm -hmm. we're just like so thrilled to like continue this yeah, literal head and heart work conversations with more experts um, with different lived experience than we have. So this week's the first episode is featuring Lindsay C. Gibson, the author of Adult Children of Emotionally Immature Parents and her brand new book, Self-Care for Adult Children of Emotionally Immature Parents. It's going to be awesome. Find us on the primary, the primary feed on Thursday. Please remember to like, follow, subscribe, give us a five-star rating and review wherever you get your podcasts and consider supporting us on Patreon. If you support us on Patreon for as little as $5 a month, you'll get an additional bonus weekly episode. That's patreon.com slash justbreakuppod. This literally keeps our mics on and helps us reach more brokenhearted souls who need two random strangers giving them relationship advice. Original music, recording, editing, producing, all magical things by our good friend Spencer Worth Davis, a.k.a. Big Cats. Make sure to check out his music on Spotify. And remember, you deserve to be seen in all your grief, in all your regrets, in all your messy humanity. You deserve to be heard, supported, forgiven. You deserve to be seen and held right now, even now, in all of this. And if all else fails, just break up.